Welcome to the Pop Cult Podcast. Here are your hosts Ariana and Seth. This is the Pop Cult Podcast. I'm Seth. Ariana. And today we're going to be talking about uh, another pair of movies. We're going to be talking about the recent uh, horror film Watcher that's come out and Boz Lerman's Elvis, which is where we're going to start. Uh, so, Boz Lerman's Elvis. It's about Elvis. I mean, I don't. If you don't fucking know who Elvis is at this point, like, are you new to the planet Earth? Or maybe you're a Zoomer who never had. To Even hear him. I feel like people would know just the image of Elvis. Like it's such an iconic yeah. thing. It's so permeated into the culture. Uh, I, I'll share some details about it. In that, this is if you know anything about Baz Luhrmann, he is the director who brought us. Uh, the Leonardo DiCaprio, Kate, or not Kate Winslet, uh, Claire Danes. Claire Danes. Claire Danes. Uh, <laughs> Romeo and Juliet. Uh, Moulin Rouge. Uh, he did the Leonardo DiCaprio, Great Gatsby, a lot of films. Uh, and this is his latest one. So Great Gatsby, I've not seen it. Have you seen no, it? No, I've never seen it, but okay. I've read the book. <laughs> I mean, true. Sorry. What? It's gonna be better. Yeah, it's gonna be better. It's gonna be better than the movie. But yeah, um, I only know that film because of like the GIF uh, every time Leonardo DiCaprio with the fucking champagne yep, glass. Yep, 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 yep. <laughs> uh, so Elvis purports to tell the story of the life of Elvis from the perspective of his manager, Colonel Tom Parker. Uh, Parker is played by Tom Hanks. I would assume you know who that is. I don't have to explain that. Uh, and then Elvis is played by, I guess, kind of newcomer. I've never. I don't think seen... he's a newcomer. This kid was on Glee. Oh, okay. Oh, uh, Austin Butler as Elvis. Yeah, Presley. I think. Well, he was he's on a newcomer Glee. to me because I don't give a shit about anything he's been in. Was before. he on Glee? I know he looks like he was on Zoe One Hundred and One. So. Yeah, I, I guess he's been around. He's a pretty boy from California. Uh, he plays Elvis. Yeah. And the movie. A lot of things happen in this movie. So what did you, what were your general feelings about Boz Lerman's Elvis? It was like a mess of a music video I never wanted to be in and I couldn't get out of. And it was like over, what, two hours? Two hours and 39 minutes. It was not worth its runtime. Um, it is certainly a movie that did not earn that runtime. And it is just one of those movies that it made me just like feel very confused because... Um, so they're trying to like explain, well, Elvis did grow up amongst black people, so that's why his appreciation and also appropriation of black culture, right? Mm-hmm. Like he regarded black culture in a higher standard than white culture. And they also try to like hint that he was like so confused and angry that he just couldn't talk about the civil rights issues that's what's going on because he was drugged up and too busy to work and uh his whole family exploited him especially uh uh, like the colonel the colonel who turns out to not really be who he says he is it's a it's a mess well i like what Somebody explained, they said, wow, congratulations, Boz Lerman, for making the longest trailer for a movie I've ever seen. Yes! And it, that's the oh editing. It's cut like a trailer in that it's non-linear, which is okay. There's lots of good movies that are non-linear in their narratives. Everything's you know, told out of sequence. It can work. Um, but the, the aesthetic and the editing choices are so distracting. Yeah, there's like digital zooms at certain points. To They're like, anxiety-inducing. Yes. And I felt there were moments in the movie where I remember, I think I turned to you, I was like, this movie has me on edge. Like, I need this movie not to like calm good, d- it, down. Not even like in a good way. No, 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 just, no. Um, there's like something about being on edge during a movie because you're uh, like the tension's building up. This one, I, I, it felt like they were trying to do a perspective that... Um, the colonel was like on his deathbed kind of thing, but well, yeah, because it, it opens with is, is Elvis dead yet? I or? think he's already dead. And, and then like sleeping. the colonel is rushed to the hospital shortly afterwards, and it's like him reflecting on his life, but then 
not because in part of the movie is not from the colonel's perspective. Yeah, he just disappears. Yeah, like I, it is so such totally a disjointed narrative. Yeah, like and very confusing. Like t- to consider the fact that like Tom Hanks is basically supposed to be the main character besides Elvis. He just seems to disappear at times. And if you ask me, well, like name things we learn about the colonel or describe his character. He's a con man, and uh, he's he's, Euro- he's European. He's like, secretly European. He's secretly European and a con man. Like that's it. It's I really couldn't tell you much about Colonel Tom Parker after seeing a movie that's purported to be told from his perspective. Ah, uh, like uh, I could tell you a bit more about Elvis, but even then, this movie isn't even interested really in Elvis's life. When it's you think not about it, it's Elvis's not interested in Elvis's life. music. No, because there's no song is played completely. Well, it's I. Whenever I heard you know Baz Luhrmann doing Elvis, I thought, well, hey, if anything else, I remembered I liked Moulin Rouge. I can understand why people didn't, but I did enjoy Moulin Rouge. Yeah, I thought Moulin it was Rouge is one of those films a well-made has, jukebox musical. Yes, and it it has lasted over the years. That you do have people that are either introduced by musicals through it or like jukebox mu- musicals because of it. Because I remember, like, I loved Moulin Rouge. Well, there's and then I watched what was it like Australia, which I haven't seen. I think you saw that without and me. And I yeah. was like, uh, I was in the midst of a very bad depression. And I got up in the middle of it. This was like back at home in Puerto Rico. And I said, nope, not me. Was it <laughs> your brother? I think was watching it or I something. I think it was like HBO or something. And yeah. I just went back to sleep. I was just like, I'm not doing this. He, yeah, it's coming off from something like Moulin Rouge. I imagine like, oh, this is just going to be kind of a celebration of Elvis songs with a very paper thin plot tied around it all. But like you said... We, I don't think we ever hear a single song in its entirety. No. It's like... It's like it'll either snippets. show the beginning of the song or it'll cut into the middle of it, but then it will cut away because it's... The editing in the movie is, is constantly wanting to take us away from where we're at to somewhere else, but then when we get there, it wants it to take us somewhere else. Yeah, and the sad and thing is... it never settles on anything. You don't have like a, a, like a medley. We don't have... No. A lot of times what we have is, here is the original composer or singer singing that song that elvis would later cover yeah they'll show like elvis as a child or elvis you know as a young man and, the only, and he's hearing like a black artist performing. and the only time that it was like oh that's really cool was the mix between the church music and then like the i i would not know what you call it like it was just like he's listening to blues and then the man is like is it is in like in a bar and the mixture of it because they're like not too far away from each other. And I was like, okay, that's cool. I, we'll but get medleys. But once we'll again... Hear the original singer, and then we'll hear Elvis. But once again, it's... Lerman isn't interested in the music. No. He seems like he doesn't really care for Elvis's music. There's... <laughs> like, so in Moulin Rouge, there were themes. Like, there were themes of songs, right? That, or that was, were connected to certain people. The songs expressed... Yeah, it was the way a musical works. The songs were expressing internal things with the character. Yeah, we did not have that with Elvis. Nope. Oh my god. Like, you might have had, like, Fool's uh, Russian, which is funny enough, our wedding song. Because we did get married by an Elvis impersonator. So we should be, um, like, twice offended by this. We're not even Elvis fans. Um, but, like... They try to make a theme of uh, Fool's Russian between Priscilla and Elvis, but it's it's so vague. And the thing is, like, Priscilla in the film non-character. has non-character, barely speaks. It's just her well, looking disapprovingly at stuff. Because they get to the part where, you know, Elvis is drafted into the U.S. Army, and then it, like, time jumps... And he's already like a few maybe weeks or months into his relationship with Priscilla. And the dialogue is so exposition heavy where she's like, oh, but I'm the daughter of a daughter. Like she's kind of explaining their relationship to Elvis. Yeah. But it's we all know it's for us, the audience, because there was this time jump and we need to know what happened. But it just it's the kind of artifice that is injected into a movie that doesn't isn't the good kind. You know, some movies you can tell that they're on a sound stage. That this is a fake thing. Yeah, nobody also. Um, yeah. They kind of erase the fact that like he had an. She was underage when she well, met him. But like, 
the dialogue doesn't is artificial in a way that takes you out of the movie where you're like oh okay so they're catching me up on some details yeah. that i need to know because this narrative is so like all over the place and has like adhd yeah. and can't figure out like where it wants to start it's and what really it wants bad. to say it is so bad and it is one of those that i we have talked about like watching films that you're just like oh man that's that film was terrible and it didn't deserve any of the actors I don't know the caliber of most of the actors here. Like Tom Hanks, just feels like he's always playing Tom Hanks to me, even if he was. It's a lot doing of an Australian actors because yes. I think it was filmed in Australia. Uh, yeah, because there's, you'll notice like there's um, David Wenham who was the villain in, um, I think it was, was he the bad guy in Moulin Rouge, the the Baron or whatever he was. I think that might yeah, be. Him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, like yeah, there's a lot of actors you'll know from other. Um, Lerman films or other Australian films show up in the movie. Yeah. Uh, and it's like Cody Smith McPhee is in it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's, I, I didn't care for it at all. Even as like a guilty pleasure movie. It wasn't even in, there was like, I didn't find enjoyment in it. I think, and the weird thing is just trying, I always have in the back of my head when a film I do not like, I always think to myself, someone likes this. is their this favorite film. movie. There's someone and out so there. There's someone and this is out their there favorite movie. That Elvis, and apparently, like, people did like it. I would not understand why, because Even Elvis. If you're an Elvis fan, I don't think you'd like it. Elvis was just like, <laughs> it's almost like he was just a dude letting shit happen to him. The, I heard someone, I saw someone describe the plot as. This is a movie about an old man who just keeps taking advantage of a young man until they both die. Yeah. And that's the movie. And, like, there's, you know, there's a lot of jokes about the way, like, Elvis died. But, like, I mean, not in this film, just in general in in life. In society, people make fun of it. In society, like, they make fun of it. But it's also, it doesn't even come in to be like, hey, Elvis was, like, drugged up in order for him to continue working because his family was dependent on his income. And we're not talking just Priscilla and yeah, like, like his, his parents, daughter, his siblings. Like his siblings, cousins, people that just came out of the woodwork. They don't even like address. Don't it's even, a very even, Britney Spears situation. Yeah, that's yeah. the thing. One of the things that really did upset me was you could have taken it to the idea like how the the massive control that they had over Elvis's career connected to something like uh Britney Spears who was in Las Vegas for years because, I mean, and that's... was under like scrutiny yeah. and control in order to make sure that she made mo- money for her family but she's now thankfully escaped that and and in being, the film we like... do get hints of that like Elvis is on this stringent diet of like uppers and downers so yeah. like when he needs to perform they jack him up with like basically methamphetamines and then as soon as he comes off stage they dove him up so he just crashes it's but it's crashing. an unnatural cycle yeah it's an unnatural cycle so even then if like maybe they were to address uh like how horrid his like maybe emotional and physical life was during that time well, one of the gross facts is the reason he died on the toilet was as a result of this drug use he would become severely constipated. Yes. And so, like, when he died, there were, like, pounds of excrement inside him. Yeah. And so, like, the f- I'd say if you want to make a movie about Elvis and you really want to explore the dark side of what his life was like, then you've got to lean into that stuff. Like, the body horror that Elvis yeah, went through. Yeah, it's also, like, this weird thing, like... There is also narration in the film that did not make sense. Was that the Colonel's narration? Oh my, yes. Did Elvis also have narration? No, barely. Oh, okay. It's just sort of like, he's like, but the Colonel, like, he's like, well, he died because of you, the audience. Yeah. And it was very weird weird because at no point did I go into the film. No, he died because he was abused by the caretakers he had around him. But not even that, it did not initiate the film being like everybody knows who elvis is everybody loves elvis and being like maybe being like i don't know i don't care what age you are there is an elvis song that you love and i'll be like okay cool like talk about his influence or talk about like maybe that certain black artists were happy that he was sharing this stuff because there was like an interview of like little richard saying that he's happy that if elvis hadn't done what he did nobody knew who little richard yes, was kind and of sort of like you could do that, but instead he has a weird relationship with B.B. King that they Which, share. I don't and know. In just, real life, was that a relationship? I have I'd no never heard of idea, that before. But yeah. it's also, it just, it felt so disconnected because 
it's as if they're saying that Elvis was black without really being black. And so they're just like, well, we're just going to have black performers uh, like being like the original people that sang the songs. But again, it's only snippets. It well, is. I think what it is is they knew they can't make any Elvis movie now in a contemporary context without addressing the fact that his entire career came out of like black music. But it, the movie is being made by Baz Luhrmann, who I don't feel like has a real track record of you know sensitivity outside of white it circles. Was, it was lazy. And it so was so he, fucking yeah, lazy. He's not the director to have made the movie about Elvis that addresses that. And so it just comes off as really sloppy and like... You can tell he doesn't really care about it that much. It's he, in there because it's, it's like it's almost an obligation. Yeah, and it's almost as if he doesn't care about the music being played. There's no moment where I thought to myself, like, and there has been times that I've watched a film or a trailer that I was like, ooh, that music gave me shivers, but I know it's just been an artificial thing. Didn't even have this during this film. I was unimpressed with most of it. I just wanted it to be over with because it just felt like an attack on the well, eyes. And then they don't even have him sing in the ghetto. No. Which it's... is weird because that song, I feel like, came out of a lot of his sort of waking up to sort of social issues that were going but on. But I think it's also But it just doesn't even get they don't, performed. But they don't even address that the song was made or why yeah. he made it. Like, it could have been fine if they were just like, no, we're not going to play this song because it's just going to sound ridiculous. Because it is a fucking ridiculous song when you hear it. When you hear it as a person who is a little bit more knowledgeable, as we are right now, if you were to perform that song in front of think me. I don't it, know. It has a cheesiness because it was performed by a white person like in the 70s and late 60s. Yeah. But, like, there are lyrics in it because in the song it points to, it's saying the reason this kid has failed is because of society. Like, it's yeah. not the kid. But it would, like, even having him, like, say, sitting down on the piano and writing down the lyrics yeah. and us seeing the words down and maybe, like, someone coming in looking at it being like, what is this? And him explaining. Because he does do a protest song at some point. But it nobody really underlines, hey, that was a fucking protest but song. Ultimately, the problem here is. Baz Luhrmann is not a director who's interested in those things. He was, it's just But they were imposed upon him because you have to have these in an Elvis movie, but he doesn't want to make that Elvis movie. I don't know what film he wanted to make out of it. I think that's what it is. Who is this movie about? That was one of my questions because we're told that it's about the life of Elvis seen through the eyes of Colonel Tom Parker. Is that the movie that we watched? No. So who is this movie about? And then my second way, what is this movie about? What is it trying to say about anything? Well, the movie's about Tom Hanks being in a fat suit and doing a weird accent to be told that he might be Dutch, but we don't get... Flemish, Flemish, but we don't get any further, like, information, and it is just... Well, I I know what the, the root problem here is. The film, and I think it's clear if you watch it with, you know, clear eyes, is so impressed with its own sense of grandeur that it fails to actually feel important. Mm -hmm. It's a movie in which the person who made it is like, what an important epic movie. But they're so caught up in that that's how they feel about it that they failed to actually make it feel that way. And this is an example of maximalist cinema where you know minimalism, right? Yeah. This is the antithesis of that this is uh, in maximalism it's a term in art uh it's, in literature it's been associated with things like um oh uh what's his face uh david foster wallace mm-hmm. that author who killed himself a few years ago you know what i'm talking about yeah uh where it with if you look at like his big seminal book infinite jest it's like the intent is to overwhelm you yeah so like that's the intent being overwhelmed is not a byproduct, it is by design. Uh, so examples of maximalist cinema you can look at are things like Michael Bay, Zack Snyder movies, yeah, um, Sam Raimi movies. Like, think about how, like, Drag Me to Hell, that's a movie where it is, like, on overdrive, right? Like, it's crazy. Yeah. The, but even things like Terry Gilliam, who did, like, Brazil. Yeah. Or David Lynch has been referred to as a maximalist. But they, and he, he does. Like, there are, are lots of moments where you're overwhelmed. But Baz Luhrmann, 
it feels like a failure of maximalism. It just also feels as if, like, you put up all those examples, and I've seen films from all those creators, but there's always, like, a lull. There's always, like, a pause of being like, hey, I've assaulted mm-hmm. your eyeballs too much. Let's give a moment. It didn't feel like Elvis, the movie, had that. It felt like it was amping up to something that should have been big, only for it to, like, dwindle down, and it's just unimpressive. With pacing. Yeah. And it's and oftentimes movies have that problem where there's too much of a lull and so they lose the rhythm of their narrative. And that's when people often talk about criticisms of pacing, it's that. It's oh, the movie had a great beginning, it got me hooked, and then it just kind of falls into this lull until like the third act when it picks up again. And you're right, you're right that this is the opposite of that. And it goes back to that comment I'd seen where this guy made a 2 hour and 30 minute trailer. And like you're saying, it feels like it's always starting. Yeah. It feels like it's a movie that's always like getting ready to start. And if you were watching something that feels like it's getting ready to start for over two hours, that's going to induce anxiety in your audience because the the sense of anticipation can't keep being felt without a release of some kind. Yeah. And the film never provides you with a release. Yeah, because... There's not a single moment where you're like, ah, a, we're here. It's a two and a half film, hour film, that feels more like the beginning of an Elvis song. Like, when the rock and roll starts going through, but you never get to the chorus. It's just one long prelude. Yeah, and you're just kind of, like, jarred a little bit, not knowing where exactly to look. And it doesn't feel like a a film that was confident in itself, especially with the digital zooms that occurred during this film that look terrible. They look blurry. They look out of place when you capture them. But they're done so quickly that since it's like supposed to be this feast for the eyes, you don't really know like what is going on, and so it's poorly done. It is just it was it was a waste of time for me. Well, like I think of um, like a Fincher movie, and a Fincher movie is like a feast for the eyes, and that like the framing, the lighting, just every aspect in, of the visuals in his movies. You're, it's like you feel like you're being fed something satisfying. You're yeah. like, oh, what a great shot. That's wonderful. But this is just like somebody gave you a giant bowl of candy, and that's the feast you're having, where at first you're like, oh, great, candy. I love candy. But a few handfuls in, you're kind of like, I'm not good. I don't want any more candy. I'm good. Mm-hmm. But then you keep having the candy shoved in your mouth until you throw up. That's, that's the experience of watching Elvis. That's why you're constipated and die on the toilet. <laughs> yeah, and that's why Elvis died on the toilet. Uh, yeah, so would you recommend anyone watch Elvis? No. Like, I, would, yeah. I already said it was a waste of time. No. Like, I would you, say it's... I feel like you would get more information from the, like... Wikipedia article. Or, like, made-for-movie <laughs> specials that they've made a Well, there was a them. John Carpenter-directed... I think it was a TV movie called Elvis that came out in 77, <laughs> and starring Kurt Russell as Elvis. Okay. And I'm like, I, I haven't seen it, but I guarantee you I bet it's better than this. You're going to learn more about Elvis. You're probably going to actually hear an entire song. <laughs> um, now, it will it address how much he took from black artists? I haven't seen it. it came out in 1977. I'm going to assume the answer is no. Will it address that he I had think a sexual maybe? relationship with a minor and waited till she was 18 to probably marry not. her? Probably <laughs> not. Uh, but if you are someone who likes the music of Elvis, that will probably be the better choice. Uh, yeah, Boz Lerman's one. I, I'm still trying to figure out like who this movie was intended for because I, I him, wanna, Baz Luhrmann, I guess. I just, just want to <laughs> figure out who genuinely like uh, like it because I know, why? like for example, Romeo and Juliet like had a resurgence, and I remember the first time I watched it, I wasn't impressed. But then once people explain, I'm like, yeah, I could see how you could like it, but it's just a mess. It's ew, I don't know. Moulin Rouge was just the the thing that he made that I think was good, and that's it. If you had to uh, pick Baz Luhrmann to direct another musician's biopic, who would you choose? No, no one. <laughs> he could stay home and do whatever. The no, fuck no, no, he no, no. You have to pick. You have to pick. Oh God, I don't know. I honestly don't know. I think Vanilla Ice would be an interesting one for Baz Luhrmann. Oh my God! <laughs> I feel like if they they're, they meet each other at the same level, right? They just this sort of overblown ego egomaniacal kind of thing uh i would love to see a Bosler and david bowie movie 
just like it would, it would, I would not watch it out of an appreciation of the movie, but just in the same way that people go to sideshows to look at freaks, that's why I would want to watch the movie. And it just would probably see how, be bad. It would probably oh, it would be terrible. Everything. You'd never hear a Bowie song ever. You, he, he wouldn't erase his uh, his bisexuality though, because Baz Luhrmann, I think, is gay. Um, so that would be fine. It would probably be very homoerotic. Yeah. Uh, but I would say, speaking of David Bowie, if you want to watch a better movie that is very stylish about a musician, I would recommend uh, Todd Haynes' Velvet Goldmine, which I don't know if you've seen. I don't think so. Uh, which is, they never say the name David Bowie. Everybody has, you know, pseudonyms. But it's about David Bowie and his relationship with Lou Reed and Iggy Pop. Yeah. And very stylish Lots of songs. They're all original songs, but they're all made in the style of like Bowie's music. And a much more interesting, I think you'd learn more about David Bowie through a movie that's not directly about David Bowie than you do about Elvis in a movie that has his name in the title. Well, it's also like this weird thing of like, I don't know to what extent did like the family try to protect him during this because I haven't heard anything about uh, in that instance versus at this point like, a corporation probably has owns the Elvis copyright and all yeah. things associated and so they're just going to do whatever Which they want is at like this point ace, like because you think about like eyes of Tammy Faye about how like they really tried to reach out to her children before like when they're doing the film and like I feel that they showed a sympathetic version of her um, but in this it was just it was attack on the eyes. I just didn't even if know what the fuck was going on. You want to know what a panic attack feels like. <laughs> <laughs> or an anxiety attack. That'd I mean, like, just play this. Just watch Elvis and you will, like, you'll feel it. Give yourself <laughs> about 30 to 40 minutes. And you're going to start, like, your heart rate's going to start going. Yeah, you're going to be like, oh, the type start. of person that would like to hear a song completely. <laughs> yeah. If you get really anxious when people, like, switch the radio in the middle of something. <laughs> We are back. Uh, we will be talking about Watcher now. Watcher is a film that just came out in June of 2022. Uh, it is a psychological thriller about a young woman named Julia whose husband uh, has to transfer, uh, because of his job, back to Romania, which I think it's implied he's Romanian. He's Romanian, but his mother's Romanian, and like he... His father's like, like English or something? He lived in the States and like came back. So, Julia, played by Micah Monroe, so if you've seen It Follows, I think she was in the Independence Day sequel, which is terrible and nobody <laughs> should see. Uh, but she's, she's sort of an up-and-coming young actress, uh, plays Julia. She's never been to Romania at all. She does not speak the language... She's trying to learn, but not really getting anywhere with it, and spends most of her days just kind of hanging out in their very nice apartment. Yeah. Uh, she notices when they move in uh, a figure of a man kind of obscured by the fog on the window, just kind of staring at his window across from their apartment. Doesn't think much of it. But every night she finds herself unable to sleep and keeps seeing that this watcher from the title is standing there, and it seems to be looking right into the window at her. It increases her paranoia. Uh, during the day, she makes an effort to go out into, I think they're in Bucharest, uh, and sort of explore the city, but it's difficult because she doesn't speak the language, and people try to communicate with her, and she doesn't know what's going on. And that only increases her sense of paranoia and makes her feel assured that this person is watching her with some sort of ill intent from across the way so ariana how did you feel about watcher i love this movie i keep thinking about this movie but we also have a deeper for me there's a deeper impact because we legitimately moved to a place that we don't fully understand the language of i feel i think i would be more scared if i did move to romania <laughs> Like, I, don't, I mean, we may have people that listen that are from Eastern Europe, and I do not mean to offend you or anything, but I would say as an American, there is sort of a fear of Eastern European people, European people that is instilled in us because of the sort of remnants of Red Scare's anti-Soviet oh, yeah. propaganda. So we're just kind of naturally... T 
taught to be afraid of Eastern European people. Well, I think, and I'm sure that's not the case. Well, like, it's just as safe and or dangerous as anywhere else. It's also like I find it very interesting because, along with the change of language, there's a change of alphabet. Because yeah, that makes there it even is, harder. Yeah, like there is a complete shift. So. Julia kind of spends her days trying to learn the language, trying to accommodate herself within the apartment, hearing sounds that she's not unsure if it's there or not. Um, Like their apartment has big windows, which is like within a European setting that is common to have like large windows. Like people can stare right into your house. Yes. And so like funny enough, like it reminds me of living here in the Netherlands and how um, a lot of times you can look inside people's homes if they don't have curtains up. And it's like almost this culture of, well, if you have nothing to hide, there's no reason for you to cover it up. And it's also or a Or just culture. a sense that like, well, you're not going to sit around naked in your living room. Well, like it's that's just not a thing like, people it do. Is, it is a thing of showing off like how nice your apartment is to some people. Yeah, there's a social status. Um, and... Watcher has clung to me in a way that like other movies don't because when finishing watching it made sense to me why her mindset was this way because when you remove language and a lot of times when a, like femme people or like people within the minority feel as if they might be like becoming prey of sorts like they're going, like someone is going to fucking take advantage of them. Well, I mean, they, they have, she has a legitimate reason to be worried because, like, the first night that they're there, or a few nights in, they're going for a walk, and there's police responding to a murder yeah, scene, and there's like a serial killer who's decapitating yeah, but it's and murdering not just, women. It's and, not like, just that. It's just like when you remove the fact that you don't. There's the language that nobody can be like, hey. You're fine. It's it's okay. You're, or you're never going to get a warning that you're going to yeah. understand. You're never going to be so, told that, yeah, things are Therefore, okay. you're, like, going, relying strictly on your instincts. Or relying on her husband who can't be there 24 hours yes, a day. and yeah. who's, like, working all the time and doesn't seem to understand the pressures that she's going through. So he's, like, in the movie, he shows him, so, tries to be, like, patient and loving, but his patience is wearing thin because he's not there with her and he's spending a lot of time like away from her and because she can't communicate with them with people she's left with her instincts and it gets to the point that she's like should i trust my instincts or not are my instincts failing me or is it because the culture push was so much that i feel like i'm losing my grip on reality well i like to bring up the language part because that's one of the things that it's it's one of those directorial decisions that is so perfect that there's no other way you could have done the movie this way there are not no subtitles for any of the romanian language that's spoken in the movie you see the entire story from her point of view so you're not getting translations because she doesn't know what they're saying and it puts the viewer in that seat of like paranoia of why is that person yelling at me did I do something? Like, are they it's, trying to warn me? Tension, like, yeah. especially when her husband is there to translate, you start to speculate he's not telling her everything. When it's clear there's certain places this, where he's not translating completely. He's not translating because he's kind of upset with her and absorbing what's being said to him. And so he gives her the simplified version or tries to let her like feel secure. But what he's doing is making her even more anxious as to what is going on. And it is... Oh, this movie's just—it was so good. When I, one of the things I like in that second act is where they suddenly start to shift things to make you question her, because they eventually contact authorities, even though her complaint really doesn't have much standing. Like nothing has happened to her, mm-hmm. and it's remarked that. It doesn't really sound like she's being stalked. It sounds like she's the one doing the stalking. And they're not wrong when they say that. She is following people. She is staring at people in ways that are going to make them uncomfortable. And so you as the viewer start to go, well, what if she she could be completely wrong? And she's the one who's like losing her mind because she's in this place that she doesn't know. And she feels that there's no supports for her. It's just 
an incomprehensible landscape before her. Well, it's also the fact that, like, which is, this is something that I've experienced a lot here, is in Europe, it is not uncommon to stare. Yeah. It's almost, it, they don't really, it's not like super rude. It just, if you're staring at a person with a mean look, yeah, you're being rude. But usually, but it's, yeah, it's a neutral look. It's a neutral look. They're just kind of like, whatever. And in the States, the immediate, the moment that you make eye contact with someone, you're supposed to look away. Here, I've noticed you make eye contact with someone and it's almost like a staring contest. You know how to make them look away. <laughs> wow. Lick your lips. <laughs> Or no, you that might not work for you, but for yeah. me, if they're looking at me and I do a roll, <laughs> they're gonna be like, oh. But no. it's like it's the feeling of being also in a smaller area. She is from New York. She is people watching because so it's she new knows to her. cities. Yeah, yeah, she's from New York, but it's she's also moved to a smaller area because she keeps seeing repeats of these of certain people, and it gets to the point that you're just like, oh, but. That is such a common-looking person. Why would she think it's them? Like, their dress isn't very spectacular. Like, they're just very, like, mundane. But I know how that is because, like, the day after I was, like, telling you, I kept seeing the same two people as a woman and then a man. And, it like, in the back of my head, I'm like, oh, shit, is he following me? Well, but like, I- <laughs> the other day when we took our bikes to go to the supermarket, on our way back, we passed... One of the people I saw in the self-checkout with us. Yeah. He was going the opposite direction. And all I thought was like, does he know a, a faster way to get around? I'm like, what, what's going on? Why is he but, over here already? But it's uh, like, But yeah, it's if you live... Yeah, because everything is so walking distance here that even if you lived in a bigger city, you're probably still going to have that experience because... The people that live in walking distance from your home are going to all go to the same supermarket. Yeah. They're all going to frequent the same parks. Or it's like you, if you like keep the, the same routine, yeah. then you're going to be on the same train or bus yeah. as someone. You might see the or like repeated people or not. And it's because she doesn't have the language to distract her. She's She lost one sense, and so it increases another sense. And so she is like becoming hyper-aware of her surroundings, but really unsure if she it, if it is her or not, well, and I want to talk about the tension in this. Oh movie. my god! <laughs> the, this film, and it's the director is Chloe Okuno, who I want to say this is like her yeah it's her feature film debut. It, it was beautifully done. If she, that is her first. We've like, talked about David Fincher a little bit in the Elvis review, and I thought of David Fincher watching this because there are moments in the way they're lit and the way they're framed. It feels like Zodiac or something like that, like golds and yellows yes. in the lighting. Yes. And it gives it, I've always, I've never had the language to kind of describe Fincher that well, but I feel like it's this kind of like textured, sick feeling, like, because yellow is a, is a color that we culturally associate. With happiness. With illness. Oh. Those kinds of yellows. Well, like, I remember him talking about yellow on how he doesn't like when yellow is used for happiness. He thinks yellow he th- is sickness. It's sick. It's sickness. <laughs> and so that's why in a movie like, you know, Alien 3, it's lit with all of those, like, sort of honey gold oranges is because he's using that color to symbolize, like, there's this infection at the core of something. Like, this is a rotten place. And, but he also does it very well because if you use the yellow at a certain point, you think that you would be, like, lightening them almost, lighting them almost like in a saint-like thing. But it's, it's the shadows. Yeah. It's the shadows that he really, like, takes advantage of. And, and a Chloe Okuna, I feel like, has nailed it on her first feature, this type of lighting. It's also a very slow-burn movie, and that it takes its time. You're not necessarily going to know a lot about Julia, really. Like, if you ask me, well, what was she like back in the States? I don't know. Uh, That's not important. But the film develops her character in a way that puts her in situations, and then through those situations, we learn about the character. Yeah. Which is the way movies should work. American movies have kind of gotten stuck in this thing where they need to give me prequels and lots of backstory. Oh, we need to make sure that you like the right person who's a good person. But think about how often that doesn't make you enjoy the film or like the character anymore than you did when it started. Like, with Julia, you find out that she was an actress Mm -hmm. and, like, she is a charming and, like, kind person, but you're also seeing her a lot by herself. So your assumption would be, oh, she's quiet. 
I don't know who talks a lot when they're by themselves. Um, well, she, let's talk about Irina a little bit. Her neighbor. Uh, Irina was great. Like I, I loved Irina. Like, but the role that character plays in the story. Yeah. Because she speaks English. Yes. And she's about the only other person other than Her Julia's husband. husband that really talks to Julia during yes. the movie. Um, but she is, she's someone who is comfortable in the society. She is uh, an exotic dancer at a strip club. Which we don't find out until later. Yeah. But it's clear she isn't... I think when you see her, just the way that character is coded, you're like, okay, she is some kind of sex worker. I don't know. But it's not like in a way that's disparaging. It's just she's very comfortable with her body. And she... The, Julia, Julia often dresses more conservative to fit like given, her husband's class. It's given, like the way Irina is, she is just who she is on paper... She takes herself like she's like she's fine with who who she is, and like so you get a sense of security with her. She is off. She's also she's the opposite of Julia. Like you said, Julia's more conservative. Uh, like Arena's comfortable. Julia's not comfortable. Yeah, Julia is blonde. Arena is brunette. But they also share that thing of Arena being like, yes, when I went to London to go study. I remember being lonely because I didn't know the language. But she's like, but at the least you have your husband. And there's this pause because Julia doesn't go, yeah, great. She's just, it's almost as if Julia's about to go like, I don't think I do. Like, well, And then Irina at a certain point disappears from the narrative. Yes. And Julia uses that disappearance to make some assumptions about what's going on in relation to what she's heard about this serial killer in the area, about the figure watching her from the window. Yeah. And the film does a great job of making it so you could go either way with this information. You can go, Julia's just, she's exaggerating, she's mentally unwell, she's making it up. But there's also enough there to go, yeah, I think there is something going on. Like, you, I don't think the police are taking her seriously enough. But um, let's... I think we should also shift over because we also we talked about not wanting to spoil this movie because I don't want to spoil it. Oh yeah, um, the acting, Micah Monroe especially. It's she's so good. Mm-hmm. She is so the moment that she has that breakdown, I felt it because it felt like a real fight. Like, and we've had those fights where one is like for one person is absurdly calm for some reason or another and the other one is breaking down and you just you feel like the tension that she's carrying the anger that she's having but she's also not trying to like she is reserved in a way that she is not going in and trying to convince her husband to give him all the facts all she does is yell at him i just want you to believe me and it's heartbreaking because it's sort of like you think to yourself within the movie like oh the husband is he being a good husband or not like you're not really sure Mm -hmm. because he he's trying to be like sensitive towards her but at the same time you're like then why would you leave your wife alone all like all the time like there's a conversation when like they have a they're having dinner with his coworkers and she's constantly being left out because she doesn't know the language. How many times has that happened to us that we're just like with uh, friends? How many times that happened to me when I was in Puerto Rico? Oh yeah, <laughs> but it's like you. Yeah, it's because I was thinking like of the two of us, I'm the only one who can say I have been to multiple places where I was like, what? <laughs> I am out. I don't know what everybody's talking about. Because when I would go to Puerto Rico and we were around your family, it made sense. Spanish is their native language. Why would they yeah. speak English just because one person does? Uh, and then here in the Netherlands, uh, where you can get people to speak English to you sometimes. Sometimes they just won't. Um, they'll just talk. They'll do what English speakers do and just speak Dutch louder and slower. <laughs> and you're like, I didn't help me. Um, so like me not knowing the language does not mean I'm deaf. Please look <laughs> for your voice. Uh, but yeah, we're, Micah Monroe, she's an actress who I was very impressed with her in It Follows. And I think she's really talented in a way that a lot of general audiences might probably not notice because it's so subtle and because it's so nuanced. 
it's that kind of reactive and restrained acting that really good actors do where it's you see the acting in where the eyes look where how they their body language yeah um yeah how they hold themselves yeah and this she's using her whole body to yeah. act. and this, so it's uh, what it does is it creates a sense of a real person that like oh i'm not watching micah monroe act i'm watching julia yeah and julia is a different person with different body language different little quirks and traits and things and like i said it's a kind of acting that i think it's very easy to see acting when an actor is being very big and over the top and sometimes a role calls for that in this, it's very Hitchcockian in that if you looked at Hitchcock's performances, he would get, they were very restrained performances from his actors. Like you think even Anthony Perkins, we think of Psycho, we think of, you know, the big Norman Bates psycho killer. Like, but it's a very controlled performance from Perkins yeah. in the same way that this is a very like, she knows how this looks to someone outside of herself. So she's having to like, measure what she says she's having to decide do i tell my husband about this or do i just go no you were overreacting but then you can see that thought process of but i'm not overreacting this is a serious thing we need to do something about it yeah and she never says any of these things but they are so clearly communicated in like i was saying all of the non-verbal things that actors do yeah uh, and it makes me want to see her in more things. I'm still going to be very picky. Like, she was an Independence Day 2, <laughs> and she was wasted in it. But I'm sure she got a nice paycheck for that movie, yeah. so good for her. Um, this movie, I think, I hope it gets her more work. And it's shown that I think she does really well in horror movies. As a oh, sort of yeah. Like, a very modern scream queen in that oh. she doesn't fit the old-fashioned tropes. There's a lot more complexity with her characters. There's a lot more like, going on. Towards the end, I was like, "Oh, she's our new sw- uh, like scream queen." Like, I, I hope she does more films like that. But then again, I don't want her to be typecast that she no longer gets work um, in other movies because of this. But it was such a strong performance where she is a complex character. Like, there's just so much about her that you want to know but like again with the body language with the way that she restrains herself you're just sort of like as and also as a woman who like has felt like there's something off and you do have to wonder like am i being paranoid am i not being paranoid or you think to yourself like well i'm not that like interesting to be like followed or harassed and because to be stalked could also be misinterpreted as narcissism exactly and so the question of it just being like um am i inventing the story in order to entertain myself because she is she's alone and bored all day and it's just and it's so and it's like we do watch her wander around romania by herself being yelled at in romania at one point because she crossed and she went into a building that she wasn't supposed to and it's you do feel her isolation at the end of the day and the only person who extends an invitation to her it's her neighbor and that becomes like her sole ally besides her husband who but then when the neighbor disappears yeah, yeah and her husband who is just going into his own work his husband who's like is fluent in romania but is also fucking up of himself because there's like a thing like he used a word that should have been like support or champion he accidentally used the word torture and like they're poking fun at him but he's like never exposing that insecurity towards her that could have maybe bonded them together instead he has the upper hand and at no point is like Oh man, like, because he's like, you did make this decision at one point in, in an argument that it's sort of like, yeah, you made this decision. It's like, but yeah, the decision was made, but you thought that you were doing it as a partnership and now she's by herself. Well, I also think, um, if I had to level like one critique at the movie, it would be that, um, I wish it had taken more advantage of its setting. Because I think 
it kind of we're kind of stuck in kind of one neighborhood for most of the movie. Yeah. But I think because you're in Romania, I guarantee you there's like great architecture around. And it's this doesn't like make the movie worse, but it's just like, ooh, I wonder what they, she could have done seeing her cinematography with this with, you know, interesting looking buildings and architecture that were in are in Bucharest and how that could have added to the sort of like alienated atmosphere Mm -hmm. especially when you go to eastern europe and their architecture styles come out of such different schools than like american and western architecture does um that like that could continue to evoke this sense of like dread and we're not where we're supposed to be yeah but we are someplace kind of a thing um i think chloe okuna is a director i'm going to be keeping my eyes out for she currently is co-directing a movie with anna kendrick uh, which will be interesting to see, and it stars Eric, Anna Kendrick. <laughs> Sorry, uh, I just I have mixed feelings about Anna uh, Kendrick. It's so. called the Dating Game, and it's about it's a real life story about Rodney Akalia, who's a a serial killer. Uh, when he appeared and was a contestant on Dating Game in the seventies, I'm not sure like the tone. Of course, we don't know. Uh, they haven't even cast like the guy yet, so it's very much early pre production. But just based on Watcher and the way she was able to build tension with that and mood. And also just getting out the performances that she did out of her actors. I'm interested to see, like, yeah, this and anything else she does. I think she's one of those horror directors and just directors in general to really keep an eye out for. Mm -hmm. Well, we hope you enjoyed this episode. Uh, Make sure to check out our show notes for any relevant links. Uh, for reviews on popcult.blog. That's our website where we post reviews every Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and extra ones on the weekend. And that's a place for you to keep up with what's going on with the podcast, other things that we've been watching. Uh, Make sure you subscribe to the PopCult podcast wherever it is you listen to podcasts so you'll be notified when new episodes pop up. Uh, In the meantime, if you visit our website, you're going to find that we're in the middle of doing a series on the films of Alexander Payne, He's the director behind movies uh, like Election, Sideways, The Descendants. And then we'll be following that up later in September with a look at the 1980s films of Francis Ford Coppola. So a decade that doesn't necessarily see his best work, but it's still interesting and putting it in the context of the 70s movies that we watched earlier this year is going to be kind of interesting. If you like what you hear on the podcast and you enjoy what you read over on the blog, we'd like you to think about supporting us on Patreon. Even if it's a one-time donation or an ongoing monthly one, we appreciate whatever you're able to do and willing to give. There's lots of rewards and goals over there. And speaking of our Patreon, I want to thank our patrons Becca and Matt. They both donate at the $10 a month writer's room level, and that allows them to pick a movie once a month. I will watch it. I will review it. If you donate at that level and you also want to add your own thoughts, you can write that up and I'll include it with my review. Uh, And it's just fun to do. Gets me to watch movies maybe I normally wouldn't see, or in the case of some of these movies, they're movies I've meant to watch for a long time, and these are finally getting me to watch them. Uh, So, until next time, keep watching. Keep watching.